This is The God Show, a conversation about the human spirit with your host, Pat McMahon. Okay, so let's talk about our kids this time around, okay? Absolutely. Let me, uh, let me quote this. I have never met a church which didn't want to reach young people. Every church sees the value in younger people becoming an active part of the church. They know the future life of the church depends upon it. The problem is often the church doesn't act like what they claim to value. If a church is more interested in protecting traditions, for example, than it is in creating a future, then it will most likely fail to attract young people. So said Ron Edmondson. And you know where he said it? He said it on The God Show right now. And this is Patrick Mann and my guest to further expound on those thoughts about young people and religion and institutional churches. Sharon Fabianic, Director of Life, Teen, and Youth Formation of the St. Patrick Catholic Community here in the Valley of the Sun, Greater Phoenix, Arizona. So, Sharon, you seem to have your hands full. You've got a, uh, a retreat coming up this weekend. Outside of Phoenix, you're going to be taking how many kids? We're taking about 80 uh, middle schoolers <gasps> and teens up to Prescott. Another 25 to 30 loving, caring adults to make that happen. Oh, and you know what? I do that. I do, I do that catching in my throat, thinking if I was the only responsible adult for the whole group, oh, what a responsibility that would be. But getting kids interested in God and church, is that what it is that you're going to be doing at the retreat? Absolutely. That's our true goal is just to lead teens to Christ and to have a deeper understanding of who God is. A thankless job, it seems. Well, I don't know about that. I think there's so much worth and beauty in what it is that we get to do in walking with teens and uh, seeing them grow, not just in faith and spirituality, but just in their personhood. It's a that's gift. When it, but that's when it's working. That's uh, when it's working, it, right? that's true. The, the communication factor is, it would seem to me to be a huge Everest-like uh, mountain uh, to get by. When you've got a new person coming in, you said these are middle school, high school kids? Correct. Wow. I think you're right. The Everest, though, is getting them to show up. Once they've shown up, you know, we're already uh, ascending the mountain together. So that's the good news. Okay. Then the bad news is that I have to ask the question, why should they show up? Why should they show up uh, to talk about God and Jesus and the apostles and all that boring stuff that has been presented boringly to them as long as their parents have insisted on them taking catechism classes and going to church. And that is, that is the million-dollar question for sure of how do we, you know, intrigue and welcome them in a way that makes them want to participate and, and get deeply involved in their faith. And uh, I think you already mentioned it, just the parental involvement is huge. Parents that want this for their youth are a lot more successful than ones that don't. 
Um, they make the case for it and just in their lives of making it a priority, coming to church, spreading the message that this is valuable. And then we, I feel like, do our part in youth ministry, which is to have a good time, that church isn't all about being serious constantly, that church is about community. It's about coming together. It's about laughter. It's about playing games and enjoying ourselves. And then once we've done that, then we can grow deeper in our faith and and do some learning and some deeper spirituality. But we've got to start with, we've got to start that it's okay to smile, it's okay to have fun and humor, and start there. If mom and dad quoted those exact words at home, saying, kids, listen, we'd like you to look into this life, teen, and youth formation at St. Patrick's Catholic community because of, and then they would quote, the fun, the smiling, the good times, and all of those. And you know that so many of the kids would say, yeah, sure. No, thanks. For sure. I think that's what can help get them in the door. That's not why they stay, though. I think uh, the biggest one is, just like any adult, we don't want to go to a room where we don't know anyone. So it's finding someone to be brave with that we can show up and and first start together. And then the fun helps us stick around. But then ultimately, we encounter God in a new way. We encounter Christ in a way that lets us realize that this is something different. This is something different than the world offers me. There's a peace here. There's a there's In prayer, I find different things that I, the world is not sharing with me on a regular basis. I find that I'm enough, that I have worth. And so those are the enduring things that really welcome our teens in a deeper way. Did you buy into that story when you were 12? No, absolutely not. <laughs> what is it that turned it around for Sharon? Well, I think for me, like many uh, Catholics that share faith. I grew up in church. Church was a part of what uh, my family was doing. It was a part of our greater landscape of what it looked like to be a part of our family. Parochial school? Parochial school, absolutely, K-12. Um, and I went on in life. And then, you know, like many other young people do, I kind of strayed after college, wasn't sure what I was doing. Uh, but as I met my husband and began to have a family, if then I really desired that what I had in my faith. I desired the ritual and sacramental life, all of those things for my family. So that's when I really started to have a deeper conversion and then on into motherhood, which is such a conversion of all things in life, of a true life-changing experience. So that's, that's when I began to crave more. But I think knowing that I had the, the strong foundation that I had in knowing who Christ was, in knowing uh, what the gospel offered. I think that was with me all along on the journey, and that's what enabled me to continue on in that faith as I grew up. What kind of background in spiritual life did your husband have? Oh, I would have said when we first met that he was the more deeply spiritual person at the time, and oh. he is not parochial school. Did not He grew up in a family where uh, they were uh, an, a military family, and Different siblings are baptized in different faith traditions, depending upon who is the chaplain on the base at the time. Yes. So uh, they had, you know, just a strong belief in God, but that not necessarily catechism or dogma or ritual. It was just God and and family. Um, so he came from a different perspective, but he, as an adult, um, really deeply got into, involved into the faith. And 
I remember him telling me one time, we, one of our first dates, he was going to be late because he had to go to confession first. And I was pondering that for hours. Like, what is it? What is he going to confession about? Is this that I'd be worried? Is this something I should think about? <laughs> but you both grew up uh, in uh, Catholic environments. Right. Uh, from different origins and different persuasions. But I'm sure probably that you and your husband and virtually everybody you have known that grew up with some kind of a spiritual background still considered these priorities. Dating, I mean, from the time middle school and high school said, if your parents didn't call it dating for the 13-year-old, you did. Uh, when you saw one another in class and you would walk down the hall together, that was kind of dating. Sure. And dating, music, very important. Very important. Uh, to many kids, uh, men and women alike, sports. And then somewhere along the line, Jesus. Uh, but most of the time, that isn't something that most middle school and high school kids consider to be their highest thought priority. So uh, introducing Jesus to kids who have experienced demeaning criticism from the time that they can remember, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, uh, Uncle Willie, who comes over to the house, makes fun of their clothes. Uh, the criticism of what they've chosen to wear. Um, the uh, entertainment that they have. Uh, music, television shows, movies. You're really going to go, you're going to let them go to see that movie? Um, and also, criticism of their friends. See, all of that comes from grown-ups. How do you counteract that with the work that you do, trying to get kids to understand that their best interests are your best interests? Absolutely. I feel like you were describing people that I knew in my, well in my life there. And that you will be taking to Prescott, Arizona absolutely. on a that, retreat. People that will be at my Thanksgiving dinner in a few weeks. But yes, absolutely. They... Uh, I think you're right. You are counteracting that. But this generation is far less judgmental than uh, my generation was and those that were before them. So really? they, they really give them each other a deep sense of just welcome and acceptance. They really lead the way. I, we went on a retreat last year. It was a group of teens that really did not know each other. And uh, it, rather than sit at different lunch tables, they took the lunch tables and they pushed them together. No one asked them to do that. No one ah. instructed them. But they just had this deep sense of inclusion and just handled it on their own, that nobody was going to sit alone. They weren't going to talk about who was going to sit where. They just pushed their tables together. Where does that come from? I, I think they, sent, they have a longing for things to be different. They've grown up talking about bullying and seeing that in schools and knowing what that looks like, and they want something different. I think they really do long for some they may not even know the gospel values that they're longing for but they want to see that in our world they want that change to happen where did it come from i think that's an innate thing inside of all of us that we we are hoping for peace we have that deep longing for that sense of kingdom that's just our already resides within us so i think from a 
You know, I've read books about the spirituality of the child, how sometimes children are so much more open, even our youth in, in their middle school and teenage years are so much more open to that than we are as adults. We kind of harden as we grow and we lose that, that sense of perspective of just being open to that sense of, you know, I can just make a difference in this situation. But they didn't get that from social media. They didn't get that from Facebook. I agree, I agree. But I definitely think that many of them get it in their home I think that it can be cultivated in other ways that are probably more traditional, even though this generation, what makes them unique is their technological knowledge and that that's been one of their first languages. But what unites them to the rest of us is the things that have been the same, that have been the constants, like family. Okay, in general, because there used to be constant jokes, stand-up jokes, uh, comics who did family humor, and teenagers were the butt of the jokes. Always. Uh, almost always. So what do you find now, if it really is different than when you were growing up, that adults think of teens, teenagers in particular, in general? Well, I mean, I still think that they've earned some of their lumps in, the, in what uh, society thinks of teenagers. They're still, their frontal lobes aren't developed. They're still... They're still teens. They're still trying to figure things out. They lack certain social graces that they have yet to uh, have figured out and learned, but they're in the process of becoming just like we all were once. And sometimes we have a lack of uh, empathy for that process, but it's definitely, uh, they are all going through all the same, you know, social and hormonal things that we did when we were teens. So a lot of those things are still present within them, but they just definitely, this generation seems to be more socially conscious than I think at least my generation was of just really looking at that and not working, not worrying as much about where is my place in the spectrum, but just that, you know, looking for that, for the other person that might, you know, the, the key word that they use so often right now is awkward. This is awkward. I'm awkward. He's awkward. Awkward is like the word that they all talk about. And so we spent a lot of time talking in our youth group, at least, about, you know, that it's okay to be awkward. It's, you know, it's okay to, to welcome and to be awkward in that. So there's a lot of discussion about that and what that looks like with our youth and how do we, you know, I, I would say that that's the number one thing I think about, especially our middle schoolers as they be, start to become into that whole process of puberty. It's, it is awkward. So how do we just embrace them in that stage and, and love and welcome them? Yeah, he's beginning to grow whiskers. She's beginning to grow boobs. And neither one of them knows how to handle either situation. But you're around these kids almost every day of your life, professionally. Absolutely. Right? What do they think of us? We're talking about what adults think of teenagers. Yeah. What do teens now, these kids that you're going to be taking on a retreat this weekend, in general, how do they see adults? That's interesting. They, uh, the, you know, I definitely think some of our teens are ageists. You know, they definitely think that some of us are outdated and uh, <laughs> struggling. But I kind of think maybe I thought that about my parents and grandparents at that age, too, that they didn't understand, that they didn't know what... Uh, my generation was going through, I think all of those things are still constants, that they are not, uh, they're not convinced we know what it's like to be them. Even though we've walked through that exact moment in our life, it's, it's different here in 2023, and they're not convinced that we know what that's like. They're in the phrase, Mom, 
Dad. <laughs> and that's a constant, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I read something uh, just the other day that uh, touched me. And I don't even know what the origin was. But it was a quote from someone who said, kids don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I deeply believe in that. When I was a teacher, I had that phrase up in my classroom as a reminder. I, oh. think, I think that's the secret to all things with teens. It's relational. But I would argue that's true for most people. It's relational. Nobody cares about your experience, what you consider to be the good news, faith or otherwise, until that they know that you're invested in them, that you care about them, their life, what they're going through, and who God has created them to be. Do most kids, now we're talking about middle school, high school. Sure. So let's, adolescents. Do most of them that you talk to and who talk to you believe they are cared about? The majority do. There's some that have a hard time. They do believe that they're cared about. Sometimes they have a hard time believing that they're worthy of that care. They oh. think that they have possibly done something that was so unique that has just removed them from that love. That if their parents knew the truth, that that love might not exist for them. Or if that God knew the truth about them. Now, but is that just Catholic guilt or do Lutherans also go through that? I don't know. I think there's a lot of guilt out there in the world to go around. I don't think Catholics have the... Uh, have all the guilt in the world. No, well, we've been told that Jews invented guilt. That's true. And that Catholics just refined it. There you go. We, we definitely have our share. Catholicism. What a tough, what a tough story to tell a kid growing up. Uh, you know, honey, yes, I know you're only five, but you have to go to church with us. No, not Sunday school. This time you're going to go to mass with us. You know, well, why are they passing that basket around? And where does that money go? And, oh, wait a minute, they're going to do it again? Uh, why are those people lined up at the mass? And what is that priest doing passing something out that they put in their mouth? I mean, all of that mystery and the miraculous nature of the Catholic service you start a child with that. How do you explain? And why would a kid 13 find it interesting? Oh, for sure. That's a, that's a tricky one. So hopefully many of our kids have really experienced the faith and grown up in it so that there's been lots of time for them to kind of dwell and see and wonder and ponder and ask all those good questions. Um, for, our, for our teens, though, sometimes I, you know, I'll ask, you know, when you're at Mass... Are you able to hear the readings? Are you able to hear what the priest is telling you? Have you focused in on these different parts of Mass? And they'll look at me and say, I miss that. So we try to break it down and just talk about it in small pieces. Um, anytime that we've talked about it, I really do see the weeks following, I do see teens that are sitting up a little, a little taller, invested a little more deeply. You know, we try and encourage habits that are just great habits in general for all Catholics, never mind teens, but just to read the readings before they go to church on Sunday. We do text messages and say, hey, have you checked out the Sunday readings and send those out to try and encourage them to know what, what the topic isn't a surprise. It's not meant to be a mystery. You can know what, what mass, what readings we're going to do before you even show up. 
But that reading often is written in such a boring presentation. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that you'd pick up at a bookstore and say, oh, I can hardly wait. Well, I don't know. I think there's some really racy topics in the Old Testament where if you... But it's uh, still written, though, it's still in written a style tough. that tough. doesn't embrace me as a kid. That's true. And that's what I think is our role at Life Teen is to really break things into a way that is accessible for this generation, for all generations, but really that we can look at how can we reach teens? How can we use analogies that share just what's going on in life and the world? And how can we say, hey, this is exactly what was happening here. This is exactly what Jesus was talking about in the gospel. Or this is exactly what David encountered with Goliath. How can we go forward and, and share that the messages in the Bible are, are timeless, that they're for us, they're accessible, but we have to walk with teens on that. You know, I do, I agree with you. A sitting in mass on Sunday is sometimes not the best access point to help our kids grow in their spirituality. The, the ritual, all of the things that make our mass beautiful, they can absolutely also be the thing that distance our youth from having a deeper understanding with God. Because everything in Catholicism, and I say that, John Patrick Michael McMahon, coming from generations of Irish Catholics, uh, everything, is so historic. Uh, rarely do you ever hear a sermon about what happened last week, and did you see that in the paper? Or, no, you didn't see it in the paper because your family doesn't probably get a newspaper, but did you see it in the news? Have you been talking about this? Because it does relate to Gaza, Israel. Uh, it doesn't have to do with Judaism. It has to do with faith in God, from two different perspectives, but the Catholic Church seems to be based on so much history. And kids, as long as I can remember young Catholics talking about Catholicism and the Mass and the existence of it all for 2,000 plus years, it's that everything is so old-fashioned and therefore boring. Why did he have to call them apostles? Why couldn't it be the Marvel group? He, he didn't think to coin the, the Avengers. He went, <laughs> went with something a little different, huh? But you know what? If, if someone teaching interesting facets of the religion, if they said, okay, well, now we have the Avengers with superpowers, but none of them walked on water, for crying out loud. How about this guy? Uh, I don't know if anybody does that. I think I'm going to recruit you for youth ministry, because that's exactly the, those are exactly the analogies and metaphors that we use to really make that gospel come alive today. When you today. say we, we, who's doing that? I, well, to not just myself, but tons of youth ministers all over the valley. And we have a beautiful core team of young adults and uh, other caring adults that give their time every week to just to spend time with our teens, to bond with them, and just really meet them. One person alone can't do it. If you're really going to care about our teens, you got to get in there with them. These core team is amazing. They go to see kids in their basketball games. We show up at ah. football games. We, uh, you have a swim meet, and you want us to come. You know, two of us will show up and cheer you on. We are excited to be a part of the teens' life, which takes forget. a big team. They never forget that you showed up. No, and that's what, when they know that you care about them, then that compels them to think, huh, well, what's, what is that faith that they're involved in? What is that? That maybe I want to 
know more about that. Maybe I want to partake in that in a deeper way because we're this talking, person cares about me. We're talking with Sharon Fabianic, uh, and she's director of Life Teen and Youth Formation St. Patrick Catholic Community. But wherever you are, if you're listening in Helsinki, Finland right now, uh, there may be a group down the street from where you live. I would bet that these kinds of movements are worldwide. Absolutely. So Life Teen and Edge are international movements, but there's other uh, youth programs all over the world. So yes, and I would say if that's not at your local parish, seek it out because it, it does exist. And maybe they exist and maybe they've grown because of the absolute necessity that parishes all over the world recognized because kids weren't interested. They were not interested in the message. They weren't interested in the presentation. All they knew is, is when they were forced to go to mass, who did they see? A whole bunch of gray-haired people. That's right. That's what compels us to really, to, to really welcome them and to let them know that the church is for them. It's not for the generation before them. Church is not, not based on age. It's, we're all welcome to the table of the Lord. Well, you say that. You say that to them. Why should they buy it? You tell me how it is that you have as successfully, obviously, as you and your organization have been. What have you done to attract people who only remember puberty as that mysterious thing that happened to them hundreds of years ago? Well, I'm going to tell you the great secret of our youth ministry we start every night with a meal. So we welcome them to dinner. We start with mass. We have a youth mass where uh, our priest at our parish and our music director do a wonderful job of trying to uh, utilize music that is more current, that is hopefully more attractive to our young people. And then we go over to our, uh, to our hospitality center and we have a dinner, we break bread. So there's something about uh, lasagna and garlic bread that welcome people <laughs> to the table a little, a little easier. So it starts with that welcome. And then we, we take these things, these ancient rituals, like you've said, we've take, we take our texts from scripture that as you've said are, are difficult and can be hard. And, and for a 13 year old sitting at mass, may, they may have tuned out long ago, but we try to make them uh, meaningful to them we use lots of just like you did we use lots of movie references we use modern songs modern things that hopefully teens are attracted to now hold it because i'm a music guy and i want to know do you actually play or use the lyrics of contemporary songs or do you make spiritual music contemporary we uh we do both we will listen to absolutely songs that are played on the radio and we'll use that uh, whether we use it as a playlist or whether we use lyrics to talk about that we talk about like hey is this we'll ask you know we let we welcome our teens to talk and question too like this is a song you love these are the lyrics is that is that good is that great for you to listen to is that something you should listen to is that something you shouldn't listen to what do you think and really pose it to them rather than being the, the authority on it. We really 
welcome them into the discussion of, hey, let's look at music today. We know you love music. What's your, what's, what are some lyrics of things that you're into? And you let's really, talk about that. Do you really sit here on The God Show telling me that you pay attention to what they have to say? We do. We do. It can be exhausting, but we do. No, they have great insight. They are, I love our youth. That's what allows me to keep working with them long after I can use the word youth to describe myself because they are just, they're, they're funny and they're insightful and they look at the world in a new way. So it's, it's really enjoyable to be around our youth. But you know why I ask? Because so many times kids of all ages are actually asked questions and nobody pays any attention to what they had to say. That's for sure. And I, I think that uh, a lot of times they have some great messages that are overlooked because of their age and we, we move on we move on quickly and dismiss them because they are young. What is Life Teen? Life Teen is an international movement to lead teens to Christ. It, they, we have what we call Life Nights, which are evenings typically once a week to engage with our youth. They're filled with uh, prayer, talks, small group experience, and other um, games, fun. At ours, we have dinner every week. Not everybody does, has that opportunity. But it's a movement to really just try and engage our youth into, into the experience of, of being a Catholic and to lead them in a closer relationship with Christ. Answer this. Uh, these are two questions with two totally different answers, I'm sure. How do you teach Jesus historically as a figure, as a human being, and how do you teach them about the grandeur of Roman Catholicism? That's definitely a two-parter. So the person you have the whole rest of the show. Uh -oh. The person of Jesus is a little easier. I think our teens right now think of all things very critically. They are not. They don't believe something just because I say that it is so. That's not who they are. They question, they have their own doubts that they bring to the table. But when you present Jesus as a person that lived in a particular place at a particular time and faced obstacles of the day, just like other Hebrew people living at that time, and when you're able to, to bring that to someone that is God, then there is an interest there. It, I always have said to them it would be make the best reality show ever I, and talk, to, talk about Jesus in that way that they are interested. They do wonder why this person that is God would answer people that were critical of him with, and ask, answer questions and not just take the power and act with such humility. That does, do any of them ever watch The Chosen? Yes, there's a, lot, there's a lot of our teens watching The Chosen. And so that's always a conversation too about The Chosen because I love, I love it as a tool, and then, but then it brings up questions too. Well, why is this so, and why is that so? And I'm like, oh, some of that's a lot of creative license there. So you've got to, you've, but then it, hopefully it helps them have a greater engagement with the Bible to find out which is the creative license part and which is the part that really was, was in the gospel. And in many churches, many of the parish priests and many of the sisters who taught refused to acknowledge any kind of creative license. For sure, but I think that that to be able to see it in a medium that is really uh, a, just accessible to our youth is really a beautiful thing. So it's it's an exciting time with the chosen, and it's amazing how many of them start to look at Jesus at, in his human qualities because of it. That maybe have not thought about Jesus as 
as human on this earth. It, it helps them engage with that notion, which is really an amazing thing. Ever have any of the kids that you're teaching bring up the sins of the church? Bring up the, uh, the things that the church has been guilty of when it comes to the, uh, the violence toward other religions in history? The Knights Templar, uh, Joan of Arc? I think a lot of our youth are, um, they've grown up in a time where there's a lot of mistrust of things in general. They're not particularly trusting of their government. It's not just their church, but they look, they don't necessarily look at uh, history as positive or uh, the way that any real organization comports themselves as a positive thing. So I think they really kind of take it for granted. Um, I don't think that that's a barrier for them like it may have been for other generations. Really? I think it's a barrier for sometimes teens that don't want to partake. Like that's what they'll say is that. But usually um, I don't know that they even know all of our church history. As you said earlier, there's so many things to know about the faith. It's not it's not uh, an inch deep. It is as wide and vast the, between the beautiful, the beauty of the church, and then you have God. There's so much mystagogia and things to know. It's it's a lot. Is your organization similar to Young Life? Uh, and Young Life is primarily a, a, a Protestant-based organization for kids, right? Yes, I would say I would say that there's some similarities in the two programs. I recently read something that, in its brevity, just knocked me out, and that is. <laughs> Again, a comedy routine that starts with kids these days. So you know 20 minutes now is going to be stand-up material. Not this. Kids these days have a passion to be needed. Do you think more than their predecessors and other generations? And why? I think maybe so. I think uh, getting involved in service and other forms of social justice is a huge charism of this generation. They are, um, other generations have needed things like a bowling night or let's go play volleyball. And this generation shows up to do things like go to St. Vincent de Paul or to go to Feed My Starving Children in great numbers. They do love helping others. I definitely think that like all people, they derive a great deal of self-worth from doing that. Where did that come from? I, I don't know. I, I wonder if that this generation is, uh, they have not uh, had the opportunities to to uh, pull their weight, as I would say, as other generations have. A lot of them have grown up in a world where safety was the number one concern. These are kids that have, um, they were young kids. They were not born yet before Columbine. They were young kids during Sandy Hook. They, parents have been, safety oh. has been our primary concern in raising these teens and our middle schoolers. And so some of them haven't had the opportunities to kind of get out and where previous generations may have gotten out and helped people that lived on their street. They may have pulled weeds for, a, for an elderly neighbor. They may have, you know, helped someone in the neighborhood clean out a garage or do those things. I don't know that this generation has had all of those opportunities to really invest in just the people around them. So when they can help the greater good and they can get involved in things, I think they're just really genuinely happy to do so. Yeah, you mentioned Sandy Hook and you mentioned those tragedies and it occurs to me that no matter how many times adults say, oh, yeah, absolutely, I know exactly what you're going through because I did too, and my parents did, because 
every time is the same, but it isn't. It's not. No, I definitely I'm a parent parenting right now as well. And I think of that all the time. Like I I didn't grow up with those fears. I didn't grow up with in a world of school shooting. That was not um, you know, we walked home from the bus and we weren't worried about what would happen to us between getting off the bus and going to school. I think parents are are scared and rightfully so for their kids. They're scared for uh, so many things in our world. They just want their kids to, you know, live live well and, and healthy lives. And um, but we've put a very big stress on safety as a result. And so I think uh, as the church, how we can really appeal to our young people is by and our parents alike is really by providing safe place for them to be to build community to do good and holy work that builds them up as a as a human being but also builds up the body of christ at the same time so here these kids are the kids who want to be of service to the community and to individuals in the community and yet you're representing a church who teaches that LGBTQ people are sinners. How do you handle that kind of conflict? Well, we uh, always put forth love to all those around us. It's not our job to sit in judgment of others. It's our job to love those around us. And so mm. that's really one of the greatest messages that we share at at St. Patrick in our youth program is just to love one another. At the age of the youth that I work with, we um, we really just, that all people have an inherent worth and dignity that's given by God, and that that's the most important piece of that. But the church doesn't teach that. I think the church absolutely teaches about the dignity of the person. I definitely think that the church gives the model of, of uh, all good and holy things for humans. I think it's hard sometimes for teens to sort all of that out. And the best way we can show them what the love of God is, is just by loving one another well. And so that's what we try to do. Well, uh, we're talking about then uh, parts of our society uh, known as the gay culture. Uh, and now probably more than any other time that I ever remember talking about reality of the confusing duality of a trans person that these kids are going to school with. A surprising number of them know trans kids. Oh, for sure. I but mean, the trans kid isn't welcome in the Roman Catholic Church. The same way that the kids that you have in your organization is welcomed. Well, all kids will be welcome through our doors. Really? But we would, well, they're kids. We've got to walk with them. Only in a relationship can you affect people and love them. So we would, we would welcome all kids to come. But we want them to get to know Christ and his church. Um, I think our children, too, they are just presented with so many different mixed messages in the world today. It's so hard for them to know what is, what is truth, what is not truth. And we, we absolutely can't even have an opportunity to share to share the wisdom and to share God's love with them if we've closed the door. So we, one of our favorite things to say is all are welcome and all belong, and we really try to practice what we preach. And God said, according to the sermon some Sunday, God said that 
all human beings are created equal and should have equal opportunities, except for women achieving very specific areas of responsibility and leadership of the church. Definitely an area to ponder in our church. But it, it's another one of those things where the church doesn't seem to acknowledge its flaws. Well, I think Pope Francis is definitely uh, at least open for conversation and discussion. I think in this synodal process that we've watched, St. Francis is definitely uh, kind of widening the potential. Uh, women are coming to the table. They're welcome for the first time. So um, for I know how slow change is in, in our Catholic Church especially. Tortoise, tortoise. Tor tortoises might be a little faster than, than, than change in the Catholic Church. But it's also exciting to just see that, that it's evolving and that conversations are happening. And I think uh, it, it's all good and holy things that we're discussing and, and talking about. And uh, it's exciting to see what will happen in the future. Well, what good and holy things are you going to be talking about in Prescott this weekend at the uh, retreat? Well, our retreats always have a fun theme, and then they have a very holy theme. So our fun theme is football. So we will be uh, retreating with the uh, Chiefs and the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Steelers. We're going to have a great time with that. Jesus. And we are... Pardon me. Don't forget the Cardinals. The Arizona Cardinals so will you, absolutely be there. So you can there. use them as non-sinners this coming weekend. <laughs> well, you never go on a Catholic retreat without bringing Cardinals. I mean, that's oh. like a key part. <laughs> key part. Cardinals are always welcome. We've got Saints, of course, too. Right. And they, after all, the Cardinals have their own college. And then, in a deeper way, we'll be learning about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's a great access point for oh. our youth that maybe just don't even know what that is. It seems ambiguous to them. And then those that do have a deeper spirituality, how do we pray with the Holy Spirit and invite that into what our lives? What should I know? What should I know as a Catholic kid about the Holy Spirit that I didn't know walking into this classroom. Oh, just that the Holy Spirit's there to walk with you and give you strength in all of your most difficult times. So that you have gifts. A lot of our, our youth are not accessing all the amazing gifts that God offers us. So we want them to know that those are, we know if they had Amazon gift cards sitting in their wallet, they would absolutely access those. So we want them to know all of the gifts that God provides for them that is there to strengthen them on their journey. Okay, but wait a minute, excuse me, pardon me, uh, do they call you Miss Fabianic or do you give them a break with that name? I'm Sharon, I'm absolutely Sharon. Excuse me, Sharon, uh, I'm in the back row. Uh, why do I need the Holy Spirit if I've got the Father and the Son taking care of all the rest of it? Oh, absolutely. So we, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about definitely, uh, you know, most all of us have had a father, whether they've been a great father or not. We know what it's like to have a father. We meet the person of Jesus in the Gospels and learn who Jesus is. So the Spirit is definitely the, the piece of the Trinity, of our relational God, that is definitely the most vague, a little bit nebulous for our youth. So we just try to break that open about how that the Spirit can really be present in our lives in a daily way, in a meaningful way to each of us. You talked about Pope Francis, really a popular guy uh, in and out of the church, uh, an international figure uh, that people seem to be attracted to for a number of reasons. And there's nothing uh, sweeter looking than the video that you see of him uh, holding a little child up and uh, kissing him or her on the forehead. What do you think as someone who teaches 
Catholicity and who teaches Christianity and who teaches the basic goodness of mankind. Am I, am I there so far Absolutely. with the organization? That's is us. What can the church learn from its youth? The church can learn so many things from its youth. I think the number one is just how important it is for us to um, just all know our inherent value and to just, our youth are just really, um, just really inclusive of one another. And I think that that's something that we could all be doing better in the world, is including one another, welcoming everyone to the table in love and in charity. Do you think that uh, parish priests and the Good Sisters have backed off those positions that I remember so vividly? And that is, what did I associate with Sister Mary Iglesias uh, or Father O'Brien? It was, don't, and then fill in the blank. Don't this, almost everything. Um, and if I did, the other word was shame. And then one other word that was constantly associated with behavior in general, sin. And at least Catholics had a choice between venial and mortal sins. But there was so much negativity about my behavior as a kid. And I was a pretty good kid. But I was a pretty good kid because I was afraid of the don't, the shame, and the sin. Yeah, I definitely think that that is a, definitely a hallmark of some of the homilies that I remember growing up was the what not to do, the don'ts, um, definitely a part of my world as a Catholic. I think for our youth today is focusing on how the gospel offers us a different way to live, a, a way to live that can offer us a peace that is not really known in this world, a, a joy that is not really known in this world by how we treat one another, how we, how we concern ourselves with the marginalized. Uh, I think we're offered some tools. You know, I always say to them, you know, I know there's no guidebook for life, but this is pretty close if you're willing to do the work to really do the translation from the Bible to your life. The work is worth doing, that the message is here for you. And I think that that is uh, one of the big, biggest pieces. I mentioned the gray-haired parishioners, uh, and that's, of course, true in virtually every congregation, in every religion, Christian and non-Christian alike, Catholic and non-Catholic, is you think, I wonder how many of these people are gonna still be alive next Sunday. Uh, and, uh, and, I, and I don't mean to be insensitive, it's just when you look around at the congregations, there aren't many of the people that you work with on a regular basis. And you know what, my wife Duffy, who's a psychologist, uh, when she found out what we were talking about uh, on The God Show today, uh, I said, uh, what would you like to see that's, that's different? And uh, she's a lifelong Catholic. And she thought for a moment and she said, I'd like to see more participation at mass with young people. I said, well, like what? He says, well, you know, you have the uh, Knights of Columbus who will come up to the pulpit and talk about whatever the event is that's coming up, or a missionary, 
at, right before the missionary, a collection is taken. And, but you have a variety of people. The, the sodality comes up and says, we're going to have this going on this weekend. Why, why do we never see a freshman, sophomore, junior uh, coming up and having had that assignment by an organization like yours to get up and tell the congregation, hey, this is what's going on in my group and the dance and this, and this is what's happening. I love it. Tell Duffy to she's welcome to our parish because it's going to happen here soon. We're going to make it happen. We do. Uh, we have the blessing of it, our 5 p.m. youth mass. We do have an opportunity, whether it's myself or another member of our youth ministry team, we do get up and we do welcome our youth to know what's happening in the parish. And, yeah, but those are kids welcoming right. other kids. But we do, on occasion, welcome some of our leadership teens to come up. And those are juniors and seniors that have been with the program a little bit, and they'll come up and share something that's been going on or welcome teens to come on retreat. But I definitely, I hear what she's saying and I think we could do more. So can I, you imagine, I agree. Can you imagine grandma and grandpa leaning over to one another and saying, well, they certainly do seem to be having a wonderful time. And just all of a sudden an eye-opening experience. Oh, how about in a week or so, Somebody getting up and saying, hey, we were in Prescott last weekend, and here's a couple of things that happened that might surprise you. I'm going to bring this to my priest immediately. Well, uh, jot it down. <laughs> because I agree. And Duffy said that the first lesson is for free. <laughs> I love it. What else do you love about working with kids? I love working with kids because there's so many facets to that. Um, I just love people. So they're just people and they're becoming and they're willing to acknowledge that they are becoming. And I think we're all becoming. Adults are too. We're still in the process of growing and changing, but we're, we're a little more reticent to admit that about ourselves. We're a little more reticent to, real, to say, oh gosh, I didn't know that before. I'm really glad that I know that now. Or wow, that was a mistake. Thanks for walking through that with me. Or I'm so proud of myself because of X, Y, and Z. And our, our teens are just really able to say those things and share those, those pieces of their lives. And it's just really beautiful to see that. Um, and it's just fun to just see their aha moments in life as they become. I think this generation is different. There are things that just separate them from those before them, but that's true of every generation. And so the more I think we can normalize their life experience, you know, the better opportunity we're giving them to just to just know that, you know, they're okay and they're going to face challenges like every generation before them and they're going to do great with them. Do they ever bring up television? Do they bring up uh, uh, morality lessons that they learned in cartoons, morality lessons that they learned in a sitcom, or uh, serious lessons that they learned that they didn't want to know about, but they learned in the news? They'll definitely talk about what's going on in the news. They are not the TV generation. They are YouTubers. They all have, instead of a favorite sitcom, they have a favorite YouTuber, whether it's, uh, you know, they're, they're watching all sorts of craziness go on. There's, you know, whether they're watching gaming, uh, they're watching different videos. There's people, you know, putting a bathtub of Jell-O together and sitting in the bathtub of Jell-O to see how long, 48 hours, can they go 72? So they are not watching 
you know, my generation would have watched a sitcom. They would have watched a show that had, there was a problem. There was a story arc to it. This generation isn't. So Do those kids ever say to you, as the nearest grown-up, I saw this on television or I saw it on uh, YouTube or I saw it on TikTok, is it true? Is, is this true, what they're telling me, the influencer or uh, perhaps somebody that is selling something? They are not asking that too much, but I do think there's a general level of skepticism within them to think oh, that really? things are true. Yes, I think that there's definitely already some skepticism built in to the point if one of them bring it, because they'll bring it up peer to peer. So we usually have a small group time. So we'll sit with a group of, let's say, eight teens, and one of them may bring up something. And the other, one, the other teens in the group, before an adult can say boo about something, the other teens in the group will squash it like that's not real or that's not happening oh, that's really? you thought that was true that's not true you know that they're making money off that did you know they're making money off that so, but is it healthy for them to be that skeptical about life i don't know i did i definitely think though when it's some, approaching something like TikTok, it's great for them to be that skeptical i would hate for them to think that everything that they're watching is is true and good so it's good that they have a, a good level of skepticism about that I wouldn't want them to approach everything in the world with that level of skepticism, but TikTok, I think, for sure. How long have you been working with teenagers? Uh, I've been working with teens on and off uh, my whole adult life, so I guess I never grew up from teenage. Um, I taught middle school, and then I started working at, at, uh, in church work, and so uh, I've always worked with youth. Did both? No. Did, did most of them that you still know about grow up to make you proud? There's so many great stories of, of uh, our youth them growing up and just becoming amazing people. And they're, they're out doing awesome things in the world from, you know, first responders to people that have started companies and done great things. So it, it's exciting to see what they can make of their lives. And, you know, some are profoundly involved in their faith and others are not. And others have um, found a different church home for themselves. And uh, I just... It's exciting to see their lives evolve. I've got a minute left, Sharon Fabianic. And I need to ask you this. Do an awful lot, do too many kids make the St. Patrick Catholic community their home because they're so unhappy with their family at home? There are some kids that are, that are definitely unhappy at home. I would say that's not the majority of what we see in our in our community. The majority are, it's also hard with our teens until you really get to know them well and unravel. Uh, you know, I think all of us have had moments of feeling unhappy at home and what does that look like versus truly, truly having some dysfunction that, you know, may need greater attention. So if somebody wants to do something organizationally like you're doing, you've got 27 seconds to tell people all over the world how to do it. Oh, how to, how to get involved with youth. If you don't have that going on in your church, you need to. But so how to do it right. How to do it right is, number one, you've got to care about teens. You've got to find a time and day that they will show up. Invite them. Start with food. Start with fun. And just love them up. Get to know who they are and what they're interested in. And then after a while, you might be able to share some, some faith, too. Remember but, you heard about it on The God Show. And I'm proud to be Pat McMahon. <laughs> 